glory to you, Lord Christ. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him to a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If any of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But to have, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. A pretty direct passage. And we're going to dive into this. But before we dive into this passage, I invite you to bow with me as I just say one more quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. So for those who have not been with us through the spring and through the summer, I want to catch you up uh, for just a minute. We've been working, making our way through the Gospel of Mark and working through different passages. And so we're now at this critical passage, Mark chapter 8. Where everything swings, everything turns. Some would say it's one of the most important passages in Scripture. Up to this point, Jesus is unveiling who he is and, and going out and healing and casting out demons and proclaiming good news is near. And in the middle of this passage, there's this swing, there's this pivot where he moves from facing the people to facing Jerusalem. And for the rest of Mark, things get a little dark and a little direct with this Jesus we've come to see and perhaps understand and love. And so what are we to make of this? Well, we'll, we'll unpack this over the next few minutes. 
But I first want to begin with a question, which is this. When you think of love, what picture comes to mind? I want you to close your eyes. When you picture love, what picture comes to mind? Okay, open your eyes. Did anyone see this foot? <laughs> so for me, when I picture love, I, I picture this foot. Does anyone know who this foot belongs to? Kelsey Quinn, what a loving community. So Kelsey Quinn, the wife of our director of DIFF students, who might also be Rexy, Cody in the back. Anyway, um, I get a call from Cody just a week, over a week ago, and, and he says, will you pray for my wife? We're going into the doctor because her foot, she fell, and, and it's, it's in a lot of pain, and we think something might be wrong. Well, yes, I think something might be wrong. Do we have any doctors in the room? They're all the first service, all the type A's? Listen, all right, so look at this bone here. If you can zoom in uh, with your eyes, we, we don't have the capability with your, uh, the computer. That whole bone is, is kind of shattered and broken. And uh, it's the fifth, meta, fifth metatarsal. That's what I thought. It's the fifth metatarsal. And the doctor said, wow, like, I'm, I'm really impressed. This is really broken. <laughs> and um, and uh, it was really discouraging. And uh, so Cody called for us to pray multiple times. And, uh, you know, someone had the encouragement to say to Kelsey, oh, no, now your summer's ruined. What are you going to do? You know? And so she was pretty down. If you saw her last Sunday, she wasn't down by seeing you, Marin. She was just in pain. So, but she was just in a lot of pain. She just went through surgery, I think, this week. And they said to her, six weeks until you can put any pressure on that foot. Six weeks. And so she's laid up at home. And uh, in, in a wonderful DI Fellowship way, we've been providing her meals. You have been providing her meals, which is so sweet. But I noticed after surgery, she posted something on her social media feeds. Uh, she posted this quote, these words. Cody vowed to protect me in sickness and health in this bad boy. And there was a picture of this piece of paper. He's up holding this promise through this fractured foot experience. I got a good one, y'all. Isn't that so sweet? So then I took it a step further and asked if I could get a copy of whatever she was posting. And it's actually a letter or vows she read to Kelsey on their wedding day. Kelsey, we've been dating for about seven years now. Yeah, they started dating in preschool. It's amazing. <laughs> I like that. And, and I've been waiting for this day for so long. There's no one more beautiful than you, even after we leave here tonight and you put on your oversized t-shirt with no makeup. You think they know, they know each other? Even after you put on an oversized t-shirt with no makeup, today I stand here in awe of who God has given me to love for the rest of my life. I vow to protect you as Christ has promised to protect us. I will be your refuge and your safe place. When attacks come your way, whether spiritual, emotional, or physical, I vow to fight for you. No matter the cause, this is where it gets good. I vow to serve you just as Christ serves his church. Yes, I will help with washing and drying the dishes, taking out the trash, and even doing laundry. 
And I vow to love you like Christ loves the church, giving up himself for your needs and desires, sacrificing so that you may be better and have better. Even through the ups and downs, even through sickness and health, you are my anchor, my best friend, and the love of my life. With God's help, I vow to love you till death do us part. Love, Cody. All right, let's give some snaps for Cody. Snaps, snaps, everybody. And it's so beautiful, right? These are the letters. And, and I think whether you're single or married or even divorced, Cody and our passage taps into something very deep, which is this. I think all of us long for a love that stands the test of time, that won't just be there for the peaks of life, but also for the valleys. Not just through the shiny days, but for the gloomy days. And if you notice in Kosi's, I combined your names, Cody and Kelsey. If you notice in his letter, he's not saying, I'm the source of this love, Kelsey. He's saying, by God's grace, through the work of Jesus Christ, may this come to pass. And you see, dare I say that I think Cody's actually referring to this very passage when he's writing these vows. I think our passage teaches this big truth. Real love is found not in the triumphs of life, but the sacrifice of it. Real love is found not in the triumphs of life, but the sacrifice of it. And unpacking this a little more, I think there's three points. Real love demonstrates, number one, compassion. Number two, commitment. And number three, a life poured out for the sake of others. So we're going to spend the next few minutes unpacking these three points. Point number one, real love demonstrates compassion. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? Now, a little backdrop to our passage. Where are we in the book of Mark? Where are we in the life of Jesus? You know, up early in the pages of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is ministering to the Jews. Well, in Mark chapter 8, he shifted. He's, he's ministering to the Gentiles, not to the insiders, to the outsiders, to the misfits. In early, in Mark chapter 8, there's this miracle encounter yet again where Jesus takes just a few loaves of bread and feeds over 4,000 men, which is several thousand more, including women and children. The, the scripture says he saw them and they had not eaten for three days. They were just following him. His popularity was growing and he had compassion on them. And he multiplied the loaves and he gave it to them and they ate. And then the kind of right down in Mark chapter 8, if you, you scroll down, believe it or not, there's this scene where the disciples are fighting over whether or not they have enough food for themselves to eat. I mean, they're, they're saying, we're left with just one loaf. I don't know if we have enough. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, and Jesus turns to them and says, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not yet understand who I am and what I can do? And then fast forward to 
the, the second half of Mark chapter 8, and we read these words. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Do you see the parallel and the contrast Mark is unfolding here? Here, the disciples, if anyone should see, they should see Jesus, who he is and what he's all about, this compassion. Yet, they're infighting. I know parents, the parents in the room, this never happens with kids, right? Even though they've been with us, they, they still don't quite get it. The disciples still don't quite get it. And yet, it says these random people, some people, we don't even know their names, some people saw Jesus, unlike the disciples could see him. And they, they thought, if we just bring our friend, our blind friend, to Jesus, he could heal him. So out of compassion, these friends lead their blind friend to Jesus. And though the, the man could not see his friends could see Jesus. And then, once again, Jesus, his compassion is triggered, and Jesus turns and sees the man. And I want you to imagine the scene. Back in those days, hygiene was, was not um, a high priority, at least for kind of the average man or woman. It wasn't accessible. And so often there would be uh, eye ailments, and people would get infections, and they'd get blurry eyes, cloudy eyes. And as you can imagine, sometimes in cities especially, you'd see blind people like on paths or on streets in gnats and flies would be swarming around their heads, swarming around their eyes. And they were miserable. And yet out of compassion, these friends grab their friend and bring him to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't turn away from the man. He doesn't turn the, the man away. No, he turns towards him. And it says he touches the man. And I just want you to imagine, I'm sure this blind man has heard about this, this, this rabbi that's bringing healing and, and bringing food and bringing hope. And as the man's hand is touched by Jesus, I just want you to imagine the hope and the faith surging within this man. And Jesus then takes the man, and it says he walks with him outside the village. And for me, this is such a picture of tenderness. I can just imagine he's walking around huts or buildings. It says, sir, watch your step there. I imagine his other hand's on his shoulder. Sir, follow me here. I've got you. Come with me. And he leads this, this man with his gnats and his flies out of the village, and he, and he turns to him. And with saliva and a laying out of hands and, of course, a prayer, he says, do you see? And it says, the scripture says that he can somewhat see. He sees people, but it sees, seems like uh, they're trees, and so the, the healing takes time. And, and Jesus lays his hand yet again on the man's eyes, lifts his hands off, and says, now do you see? And the scripture says he saw with crystal clarity. 2020 vision. He could see. He could see the tenderness of Jesus. He could feel the compassion of Jesus. And he could see the world that was restored to him. His eyes and his life was restored by the touch of Jesus. Real love First, it demonstrates compassion. Point number two, real love demonstrates commitment. 
The story goes on. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. All right, question. How good are you at learning things? Sarah, how good are you at learning new things? Butch, how good are you at learning new things, Butch? How good are we at learning new things? I think one of the, the interesting things of parenting, let me just say this, I'm, I'm, I'm referencing parenting, it's nuts. It's, 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 I, I didn't know what I was signing up for. It's so sacrificial, you know, uh, but I think one of the, the joys of parenting is creating space and direction for your kids to grow up and to learn new things, especially learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, in preparing this sermon, I was reflecting on some of the statements and some of the learning process of my own daughter, Sailor, who's now 10 years old. I remember she used to say to us, guys, can you make me a slamwich? A slamwich. What, slamwich? And, and I, I imagine that she just saw us putting, putting the, the bread together and slamming the bread together. So, of course, it's a slamwich, right? And I think she says it the right way now. What else does she say? Mom, when do I get to go see the dorthodontist? This just came out last week. Or how about this one? Mom, that's like deja vu. <laughs> and, and of course, our church, I, I celebrate the baptisms of our church because we do it. It's new life in Christ. It's new life in our family. And, and when we go out to Isle of Palms and we baptize people in the ocean, it's incredible. It, it's a, a beautiful occasion. And just, I think, a year, year and a half ago, Sailor comes up to me and she's like, Daddy... I get it, and I'm ready. I said, what do you mean? She said, Daddy, I'm ready to be baptized. <laughs> you see, it, it takes us a while to learn words and learn new things. And a mentor of mine once shared this truth with me. A truth discovered is better received than a truth revealed. And, and what does that mean? It, it means instead of me just telling you what to do, what not to do, uh, it's more helpful perhaps for me to create space and conversation and questions and stories by which you then, then can come to that truth yourself. And that's the way of Jesus. Over and over again, there's understanding and misunderstanding. Understanding and misunderstanding. And in fact, it wouldn't they wouldn't fully, the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, wouldn't fully understand who Jesus was until way past the resurrection. The women had to inform them, say, guys, come on, knuckleheads, get it together. And Thomas is like, I, I still don't fully get it unless I touch the nail holes in his hands. And yet here, Jesus says, uh, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, Peter says, you're the Christ. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, this response is recorded after this encounter. Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But I want you to take note of something. Even in this encounter, where is the strength of the relationship between Jesus and Peter? Is it in Peter's faith or Jesus' faithfulness? I, or the Father, will do this for you and through you. You see, here's the point here. Jesus does not wait for us to get it right and then love us. He loves us so that we can get it right, so that we can see him. Real love, first, demonstrates compassion, and second, it demonstrates commitment. First, God to us. Point number three, real love demonstrates a life poured out for the sake of others. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Whoa! This just took an ugly turn, right? I want to point out two important words. The Son of Man must suffer. And the second word I want to point out is rebuke. This word rebuke is interesting because elsewhere in the Bible, this is the word that's described when Jesus casts demons out of people. And Peter is all confident and cocky. He knows who Jesus is. And he's like, freaky Jesus, stop with this freaky talk. This is not okay. We have all these people now following us, and you're talking about now dying instead of rising? Stop it. That's Peter to Jesus. And then, of course, Peter turns and confronts Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan, which means literally accuser. You don't know the mind of God and the ways of God. You see, up to that point, the Jews would have never considered a suffering Messiah, a suffering Christ, Christ meaning anointed one. There's only three offices or three people groups in the Old Testament that are anointed, prophet, priests, and kings. And if you look at all the prophecies of the Old Testament, they start to point towards this king in the line of David in the Psalms, 2 Samuel, elsewhere, that will rise up and liberate the Israelites from the Roman oppression. And so what, what Peter's doing here is he's like, Jesus, you just fed thousands of people. We're so popular. Don't ruin this moment where we could rise up and take control and gather the people from the four corners of the earth. We have power and it's growing. And Jesus like says, you, you get me, but you don't get me at all. Peter had the right title 
yet the wrong understanding of Jesus. Jesus comes not as the Christ the disciples want, but comes as the Christ the disciples and we need. Theologian I respect, James Edwards, writes it like this. Jesus will don the servant's towel rather than the warrior's sword. He will practice sacrifice above vengeance. He will not inflict suffering, but suffer himself as a ransom for many. He's not going to break the world. He's going to be broken for the world, for you and for me, out of love. In preparing the sermon and talking with some people in our congregation, uh, last week we had someone in our con congregation come up to me and say, will you pray for me? I'm about to go do an intervention for my brother with our family. And I know that encounter all too well. Uh, when I was late in high school, um, there, there came to a point where we had to do an intervention with my brother my only brother. And uh, growing up, I, I, I had a dad that worked really, really hard. In fact, often he wouldn't be home for dinner. But I, I respected him for how hard he worked. I had a dad that was super generous. He would help those in need. He'd tithe to the church. He did the right things. I had a dad who was merciful. He'd, he'd serve in the hurricane shelters when there would be needs. But I didn't quite know my dad until that very moment when when he called me and talked to my mom and said, if we don't get your brother help, we might lose him. And I can't let that happen. And it's the first time I saw the tears of my father. My dad was broken for my brother. And I realized in that moment there was nothing that my dad would not do for my brother or for me. And it was a game changer. It not only helped save my brother's life, praise God, he's over 20 years sober now. He did get help. He did go to rehab. But it changed the dynamic of my parents' marriage. And it changed the dynamic of my relationship with my dad. Peter Later in the scriptures, after Jesus would take our sins and our pain on the cross and rise again, he would finally get it and he'd pen these words. He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. Jesus is saying to Peter, you don't know the depths of what I'm saying to you. You don't know the depths of your need for me. And he's saying it to Peter, and he's saying it to us. The Bible says we all need this kind of love. That's not just with us in the peaks, but with us in the valleys. Not just in good days, but in horrific days. By his wounds, we are healed through this love that knows no bounds. 
no limits. And Jesus would not only say we need it, he'd say our world needs it. He would turn to the crowd and say these words. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whomever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus is saying, don't follow the world, Kendall. Follow me. Don't trust in the world, Jonathan. Trust in me. Don't try to build a life. Gift your life. Give your life with me. Don't just receive this love. Give this love with me. Real love demonstrates a life poured out for the sake of others. So in summary, real love is found not in the triumphs of life, but the sacrifice of it. It demonstrates compassion. It demonstrates commitment. And it demonstrates a life poured out for the sake of others. Now, where are you at today? Where are we at today? You know, what strikes me about this passage is these guys had been in Jesus' inner orbit, the disciples, for a long time when this passage was written. And yet they still had blurry eyes and didn't fully see or embrace the real love he was offering them. Why? They didn't see their need for it. They saw brokenness all around them. They said, oh, there's, there's brokenness in this politician. There's brokenness in this country. There's brokenness in this. There's brokenness in this. They denied. They didn't realize there's brokenness in me. They didn't realize that just like the blind man, Jesus needs to take their hands in our hands and lead us and heal us and love us in ways we cannot imagine. So, I encourage you, receive this love. Even if you don't fully understand it, he's offering it and says, receive my love. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest today. I don't run from danger. I enter it, and I take it for you. And the second application is extend this love. God knows our world needs it. Amen? Are you willing to lead a friend through their grittiness, whatever the intervention looks like, to Jesus today, this week? What will that look like for you and for us? The sky's the limit, in my belief, in this church, in what we can do to touch and change the world through the love of Jesus Christ, not because of who we are, but Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. On a regular, gritty, confused, misunderstood people, I'm going to pour out my love to them and through them. Let me close with a quote from a scholar I respect, N.T. Wright. Who do we say Jesus is? 
Would we like to think of him as simply a great human teacher? Would we prefer him as a Superman figure, able to zap all the world's problems into shape? Are we prepared to have the easy answers of our culture challenged by the actual Jesus, by his redefined notion of messiahship, and by the call to follow him in his risky vocation? Tiger, come to Jesus. And he says, follow me. Follow me. Receive from me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search the hearts and minds and lives of us here in this room, in this space today. For those of us that need healing or hope, would you please extend your touch and your guidance and your love today to us? Extend your compassion, your commitment, and pour out your life for us today. That we would know you and it would change everything. For us in this room that have been walking with you for a while, that are blurry-eyed, God, would you bring sight and understanding and conviction and courage not to judge the world or abandon the world, but to love the world, to follow you in all times and in all places. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.